beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Years ago, when our family was traveling through the United States, we stopped in Cody, Wyoming, and attended a rodeo. And from the grandstands, we saw a clown in a barrel in the arena telling jokes. His job was to distract the bull or a bucking bronco so the rider could get to safety. In one joke of a series of jokes that he told while he was out there, he used the name of Jesus. It turned out in this joke to be the name of a dog. Now, obviously, this was a misuse of the name of our Savior designed to get laughs. My wife's reaction was immediate. Let's get out of here as a gesture of protest. And I responded, that would be a meaningless gesture. People won't understand why we're leaving unless we start shouting why. And the clown won't hear us from a distance, only people right around us. And meanwhile, that could cause unnecessary commotion and confusion. What would you have done in such a situation? I resolved to see if there could be another, more effective way of addressing this. More on how that unfolded later. Opinions on how to apply the third commandment can differ. And let's start by affirming what a privilege it is to know God. He has made his name known to his people. And how should we respond to such knowledge? So we come to the theme for this afternoon. Use the name of the Lord respectfully. And we'll focus on two points. He is sovereign. And secondly, he is holy. Use the name of the Lord respectfully. He is sovereign. And secondly, he is holy. It's a privilege to know the name of the Lord. How would we ever know it if he didn't make it known to us? And if we think about this, we'll be able to conclude that when God makes his name known, he's extending grace to lost sinners. His name was revealed in order to be used. And people could use it to pray to him and to praise him. An important condition related to this is to honor him when using his name. He is worthy of respect, of adoration. And this applies to our interaction with him as well as when using his name when talking about him. We know the name of the Lord. He has unfolded its meaning in the history of his people. He is the great I am, the God who is there, present and active in this world. And the Lord revealed his name to Moses. How Egypt learned to tremble because of the Lord who came to deliver his people from captivity. 
the fame of his name went before him, striking terror into the hearts of heathen peoples outside of Egypt. It was not by the strength of the Jews that they left their place of slavery. It was because of the mighty hand and outstretched arm of the Lord. He had established a bond with Abraham and his descendants. And by delivering the Jews from Egypt, the Lord reaffirmed his bond with them. He showed them his care and his faithfulness to his covenant promises. Psalm 99 refers to the fact that the name of the Lord is great and awesome. He is not only the God of his people, he is the creator and ruler of the whole earth. His power is unlimited. And he has demonstrated his power in the history of his people. And the psalm focuses on this with the opening words. The Lord reigns. And what a comforting statement that is if you think about it. He is not only in a position of authority as king, he also exercises his authority, revealing something of his unlimited power. He is in sovereign control over all things. People may rebel against him and attempt to set themselves up as rulers of their own lives and the lives of others. <clears throat> Events may take place in this world or in our own lives, shocking us. But ultimately, he remains in control. <clears throat> and considering the sovereignty of God should give us peace. When things don't seem to be going as you hoped, let it be a source of comfort to you that the Lord reigns. His name, Lord, Yahweh, in the Hebrew language, the great I am, reminds us that he is the God who is present in the lives of his people. The Lord is exalted over all the peoples of the world. And nevertheless, he's not so high above the earth that he is unable or unwilling to pay attention to even our smallest needs. He looks upon us with the eyes of a father, full of compassion over those who love him. In the eyes of many in this world, those who are poor and uneducated or who have disabilities may not seem to be worth of consideration. But the Lord knows who are his. He cares for them as much as for those of his children who are more gifted with earthly riches or intellectual abilities. Psalm 18 verse 10 reminds us of the close connection between the name of the Lord and the Lord himself. It says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. That name is associated with power. And that's why it's referred to as a strong tower. <clears throat> and the Lord has made his name known not only for his own glory, but also for the benefit of his people. 
The name of the Lord is associated with truth. Why else would the righteous want anything to do with it? The name of the Lord also reminds us of his covenant faithfulness and love. Otherwise, the righteous wouldn't be able to take refuge in it and be safe. And the problem that the third commandment addresses is that we are sinners. And this means that any gift God entrusts to us is received by hands that are soiled with sin. There's the ongoing danger that we defile his gifts instead of treasuring them. And this includes the precious privilege of being able to use his name. And this is why he gives us a warning. By forbidding us to misuse the name of the Lord, the third commandment obliges us to use the name of the Lord properly. That's the flip side of this commandment. And part of this proper use is to call upon the name of the Lord in prayer. It's both a privilege and an obligation for Christians. People are limited in what they can do for you. To whom else could you possibly turn but God himself? He has shown his love by sending his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, for the salvation of sinners. And whoever believes in him, coming to God through Jesus Christ with a repentant heart, may be sure of salvation. But God's promise of salvation should never be misused. That's why the Catechism teaches us that the holy name of God must be used only with fear and reverence. Let the nations tremble, says the psalmist. They have reason to fear judgment if they are sinful. Let them repent of their rebelliousness and submit to his authority. Although the Lord reigns in the heavens above, in Old Testament times, his earthly dwelling place was in the temple. Psalm 99 speaks of this. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. <clears throat> That's a reference to the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant had the atonement cover on it with the two cherubim above it. It was in the Holy of Holies, the most holy place of the temple. And God was pleased to dwell there in a special way. And the presence of the Lord in Zion in the temple was an awesome fact. How terrifying for sinners to know that the Almighty God was so near. But how comforting the knowledge that it was possible for the high priest to have access to God's presence on behalf of sinners if a proper sacrifice had been made to atone for sins. And should this knowledge not be enough to inspire not only fear, but also reverence in the hearts of repentant sinners? God reigns in heaven above and on the earth below. He is exalted, but it pleases him to live among men. And this is only possible because God is a forgiving God. It's possible to approach him and live in fellowship with him. The temple and the Ark of the Covenant are now gone. 
But God has gone on with his work of grace in this world. He has now made the church of Jesus Christ his temple. It's only possible for sinners to live in fellowship with him through the blood of Jesus Christ. And how this should fill us too with fear and reverence. God is in our midst. He is a holy God, but we do not die. We may live because he's also a God of love and grace. In his ongoing self-revelation, the Lord has made it clear that he is a triune God. Through Jesus Christ, we know the Father as our Heavenly Father. We are united in fellowship with God through the Holy Spirit, poured out on the church by Jesus Christ after his ascension into heaven. And when we consider the third commandment, we should therefore also remember that it applies to how we speak of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let fear and reverence, but also love, color your words when you speak of God. It's important always to remember this. Is your entire life focused on honoring the name of the Lord or not? We should regularly ask ourselves this question. And this becomes especially acute if you have children. Both what you say about the Lord and how you speak about him are both important. If you have children, remember that at their baptism, you promised as father and mother to instruct your child in this doctrine, meaning the doctrine of the Old and New Testament. Are they learning what God's love means through your instruction and example? Children will, will always be paying attention to whether or not your lifestyle matches your words. Great is the Lord in Zion. It's his will that we should acknowledge his greatness. And the knowledge of who he is can only be spread in this world through people who speak rightly of him in the light of his self-revelation. And that's why the third commandment forbids us to misuse his name. How will people ever get to know him as they should if his people don't show through their words and works that he is worthy of praise? Look beyond the gifts of his grace that we receive from him and praise him as the giver. Doesn't he show you that he is worthy of full adoration and grateful service? Let his name be precious to you. Acknowledge his sovereignty over your life and his presence in your life from day to day. Remember that the third commandment was given to the people of God, not to the Egyptians or to other heathen nations. Remember that it says, you shall not misuse or take in vain the name of the Lord your God. And keeping this commandment is to be a response of thankfulness to him with whom we have a bond. 
And the bond of the covenant is a bond of love and grace. Heathen people don't have such a covenant bond with God. And this should help us to keep the right perspective on what the Catechism says concerning the misuse of the name of the Lord. The Catechism focuses very correctly on ourselves. We are not to blaspheme or to abuse the name of God by cursing, perjury, or unnecessary oaths. And the problem is that church members sometimes do this in the heat of their emotions. The Apostle Peter did it to emphasize his denial of the Lord Jesus. In Matthew 26, verse 74, we read that he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man, referring to Jesus Christ. And how he regretted that afterwards. Through the grace of the Lord, this sin was forgiven. Use the name of the Lord respectfully. He is sovereign. He is also holy. This is our second point. <clears throat> the psalmist prays in Psalm 99, Let them, that is the nations, praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. God's name is great and awesome. Consider his works of grace and judgment. The grace he showed to his people in redeeming them from slavery also involved judgment on their enemies. And this has been the case again and again in the, horse of, in the course of their history. God is to be praised for his works of salvation, but also for his righteous judgment on those who rebel against him or who oppress his people. There is holiness in all that God does. His holiness is emphasized three times in Psalm 99. In him, there is no injustice, no flaw, no sin. He is holy when he punishes sin. And remember this, so that you may honor his name when you talk about his work in this world. <clears throat> How often even Christians are not careful in their speech. <clears throat> People who have a Christian upbringing sometimes misuse the name of God simply to be rebellious, cool, or different from others. <clears throat> or they do it to fit in with the group they're hanging out with. They should be thinking of the fact that in Old Testament times, God commanded such a sin to be punished with death. And his anger is no less now if we sin against this commandment. <clears throat> How can we hope to escape eternal punishment if we do not repent of such a sin? It's possible to dishonor the name of God indirectly in many ways. If a Christian uses foul or dirty language, that's one of the ways that the name of Jesus Christ is dishonored, for we bear his name as Christians. When God warns us not to misuse his name, we should also stay away from expressions in which his name is substituted with another word. 
People feel that they haven't sworn an oath or cursed if God's name has been substituted by something else. But isn't this being legalistic if we do this? Didn't our Lord Jesus Christ criticize the Jews for the way they used certain expressions? The Jews of Jesus' day wouldn't want to swear a false oath. So they substituted other words in the place of the name of the Lord. And then what they said sounded like an oath, but as far as they were concerned, it wasn't. They carefully avoided misusing the name of the Lord. But they were not honoring him in what they did say either. And Jesus Christ warns them not to do this. He commands them, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. And then he concludes, let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Some people have the mistaken notion that Jesus is forbidding any kind of an oath here. But that's not the point. To fully understand what he's saying, we need to compare Scripture with Scripture. The Old Testament makes it clear that it's the misuse, not the use of God's name in an oath, that is forbidden. In Leviticus 19, verse 12, for example, we read, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Swearing by the name of the Lord in the form of an oath is not wrong, but swearing falsely is. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 13, we even receive the following instruction. It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. God is a God of truth. He knows everything and sees everything. And when someone swears an oath, he calls upon God to bear witness to the truth. God is not a silent witness. He is active. No one who calls upon God to punish him if he swears falsely can therefore hope to elude God, who is an all-powerful judge who knows and sees everything. Never take an oath lightly. Jesus Christ made it clear for us as Christians that we should avoid frivolous oaths. In normal conversation, a simple yes or no should be enough. After all, we must realize that the Lord God always witnesses what we say or do. Taking an oath doesn't change the situation. And that's why in the church, at baptism or profession of faith, for example, you're only required to answer, I do, to the questions that are asked. It's already abundantly clear that you are speaking in the presence of God. And the same applies when you take marriage vows. The wedding ceremony isn't an official church service, but the Lord expects you to abide by the promise you make before the Lord and those who are present as witnesses. 
Your words at such a moment have the power of an oath, even if they don't have the form of one. Your promise is binding. And the Lord is a holy God who hates sin. And he's quite able to punish people who break their promises. At certain times, a simple promise is not enough. An oath may be required. This may be demanded of you in court. You take an oath in God's name, promising to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. And it's a weighty thing to have to make such a declaration. And the Catechism points out that this is a legitimate use of the name of the Lord. When the government demands it, you may use an oath. And there may also be other exceptional circumstances where an oath is necessary. It's a privilege to be able to take an oath, acknowledging the authority and power of the Lord in public. And the Lord our God allows us to use his name if it's necessary in order to put up a dam against the flow of lies and half-truths in our society. He wants us to do what we can to maintain and promote fidelity and truth in society. And that should be our goal, whether we do this using his name in an oath or not. Fidelity refers to faithfulness in the keeping of promises and in doing your duties. In this context, it stems from loyalty to God. And the object is to do what glorifies him. And the result will also be of benefit to those around us. Society is built when people are reliable, abiding by their commitments. But society breaks down where lies enter and take over. And how destructive the effect of lies is. Lies undermine the relationship between a government and those being governed. They cause mistrust and the lack of productiveness in the relationship between employers and employees. And they can poison the atmosphere in church or in the home situation. Our Lord himself spoke an oath at the end of his earthly ministry. He knew that the end was in sight. His work as our Savior was in the balance. And when he faced the members of the Sanhedrin, those Jewish leaders tried to trap him by means of lies and half-truths. And when false witnesses contradicted each other, the high priest finally approached him, obliging him to respond under an oath. We read in Matthew 26, verses 63 to 64, the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Our Lord spoke the truth, even though he knew that this would lead to a death sentence. <clears throat> he testified that he is indeed the Christ, the Son of God. 
and that was to maintain fidelity and truth. He remained faithful and spoke the truth to God's glory. And we may take comfort from his words. He is indeed the Son of God, and he spoke those words for our salvation. Jesus Christ knew that his Father in heaven would bear witness to the truth. Our Savior would die, but he would also be resurrected from the dead. On the day of his resurrection, his Father sent an angel to open the grave. And that was a divine testimony bearing witness to the fact that Jesus Christ is indeed the only begotten Son of God, the promised Messiah. What a glorious confirmation of the truth of the words of our Savior. What a powerful incentive it gives us to love the Lord and to treasure the use of his name in prayer and praise. This gives true comfort and perspective in life. Treasure the name of our God and use it carefully, beloved. If you see a fellow church member sin against the third commandment, remember that you have a bond in common with him or her. Doesn't love for the Lord and for each other oblige us to speak out against such a sin? The Lord is our God. And note that the Catechism talks about doing what you can to prevent the misuse of his name. In some situations, there's nothing you can do to prevent or forbid this from happening. And at other times, there may be an opportunity for you to talk to the person to prevent this sin from happening again. Pray for the right words and approach him or her in a gentle way, if feasible, in private. If the person is an unbeliever, see if you can turn this into a positive opportunity to share the gospel with that individual. And maybe at this point, you're wondering about the clown I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon. What did I do to address the fact that he had misused the name of Jesus? After all, the Catechism mentions that if if we don't do what we can to prevent blaspheming his name by swearing and cursing, this makes God angry. What can you do if you suspect it's an unbeliever who is misusing God's name? And what about if this happens in a public setting? Sometimes there's nothing you can do. But surprising opportunities can arise if you prayerfully look for them. After the rodeo was finished, I looked around to find out where the people involved in the rodeo were hanging out. As things turned out, I managed to locate the clown. I asked him if it was okay if I asked him a question. Not a problem. I then noted that when he was in the arena, he used the name of Jesus. So I asked him if he knew what that name meant. You tell me, he said. It means the Lord 
saves. And he looked at me and asked, are you telling me I misused the name of the Lord? And that response already told me he knew something about the Bible. And we had an upbuilding conversation together. Praise the Lord for that. The further details aren't important. I think he would be careful in the future about how and when to use the Lord's name. After all, he recognized how precious that name should be to all who know who Jesus is. And isn't that the point we should keep in mind? The Lord saves. He has made this especially clear through his son, Jesus Christ. Remember that and do what you can to let your joy about this be clear to those around you. Amen.